Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you need a permit. Sometimes you don't. Depends who you are and where you are. You know by now, I think, if you've been listening to this show for a while, that uh, TEPCO, the uh, giant, wounded giant power company in Japan that ran the uh, the damaged Fuk plants, uh, has been accumulating an awful lot of irradiated water. It's water that has gone through the damaged plants and accumulated some uh, tritium. Good old tritium. Can't get the tritium out of the water. So, and they have this these tanks, you're welcome, full of irradiated water, more every day. And um, so over the last four years, TEPCO has been planning, if not plotting, to dump the irradiated water into the ocean. You know, the ocean is so big. It's a lot of oceans, really, when you stop to think of, when you look at a map, okay? And um, they still haven't done it yet. Still going through the um, motions of uh, checking with everybody, getting permits, and trying to calm down the neighboring fishers who are concerned that, you know, they might be catching irradiated fish. And who wants that? But now we switch our focus to Plymouth, Massachusetts. Activists there are angry over the latest message from Holtec. Holtec is the um, increasingly large business that's in the increasingly large business of decommissioning nuclear power plants. It it is uh, Holtec's canisters full of um, spent fuel that's sitting on the beach near San Clemente, California, near the uh, in the midst of decommissioning nuclear power plant there. But this is uh, what they're doing in Plymouth, Massachusetts. The company is decommissioning the Pilgrim nuclear power station. And guess what Holtec wants to do? Dump radioactive wastewater into Cape Cod Bay. It insists it's safe and legal. And if you can't believe Holtec, a representative for Holtec says it's now working with the EPA to amend its permits so it can dump the wastewater. Apparently, they hadn't thought of that when they applied for the permits. You know, get the uh, rods out of there and, oh yeah, dump the wastewater. The plant has been shut down since 2019. More than 1 million gallons of radioactive wastewater is uh, in pools inside the plant. During a meeting this week, Holtec senior compliance manager... Does your company have one of those? Mine doesn't. It says the company believes it is already legally allowed to dump the water. The EPA has signaled that uh, amending the permit may be the smoothest road ahead, as opposed to contesting the issue in court. When asked if there would be no discharge of the water prior to the resolution of the permit issue, the senior compliance manager said, quote, I can't say that. 
unquote. He said tests taken seven years ago show the radioactivity is well below federal limits. And, he said, Holtec has dumped in the bay in the past without any issues. Perhaps that's because nobody knew except Holtec. Hello, welcome to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I believe, that uh, French President Macron late uh, this week paid a one-day visit to New Orleans. Supposedly he liked what he saw. Me too. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen... (laughs) 
We've got the ultra modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the frack. Well, continuing our theme of water, who knew? Who knew we had a theme? I just figured it out myself. Officials announced that Cotera. This is in Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania. Cotera, formerly known as Cabot Oil and Gas, entered a plea this week in relation to water pollution charges. The state attorney general, newly elected Josh Shapiro, says the company pleaded no contest to 14 criminal counts related to water pollution problems in many homes, namely in Dymock, Pennsylvania. The plea forces Cotera to pay million towards a new water line in the county as well as pay the water bill for people affected for the next 75 years. We'll want to be checking in on that from time to time. The documentary Gasland traveled to Dymock to highlight the pollution affecting the area. In one striking scene, one resident was able to light his water on fire. Sounds like something Jim Morrison would have done. Shapiro said this plea is a reversal for the company. They've denied any wrongdoing for the past 14 years, despite testing which revealed the pollution was related to the company's fracking. For latecomers, that's a form of oil drilling which involves shattering shale formations to release the gas trapped within. And there's more that's worse. Residents of Dymock have waited far too long for the clean water. Pennsylvania's constitution is supposed to guarantee all of us. This is a quote. Today, Kutera took full responsibility for the crimes that the previous company, Cabot, committed, uh, committed that polluted residents' water. Under the historic settlement, Kutera will now pay to build a new public water line that will provide clean, reliable drinking water for generations to come, unquote. Attorney General Josh Shapiro. Residents of Damak were told their water would be clean again in the next few years. That was a while back, according to the Attorney General. The issue still persists a decade later. Hard to get, the, hard to keep that water clean when you, when you got that fracking going on, isn't it? What the frack? And now. <laughs> It's a smart world after all It's a smart world after all It's a smart world after all It's a smart, smart world Ireland has a data protection commission Did you know? They just hit Meta, formerly Facebook with a, about a $276 million fine after a data leak a year and a half ago exposed the information of more than 533 million users. The Data Protection Commission of Ireland started the investigation shortly after news of the leak broke and involved an examination into whether Facebook complied with Europe's general data protection regulation laws. You know, the GDPR. The leaked information was posted to an online hacking forum. 
and included the full names, phone numbers, locations, and birth dates of users on the platform from 2018 to 2019. This according to The Verge. At the time, Meta, the new name for Facebook, you're not, you're not fooling me, it's still Facebook, said the bad actor obtained the information through a vulnerability the company fixed in 2019. And this was the same information involved in a prior leak reported by Motherboard in January of 2021. This was the third fine the Irish Data Protection Agency imposed on Meta this year. Never met a fan I didn't like. In March, the DPC fined Meta $18.6 million for bad record-keeping in relation to a series of 2018 data breaches that exposed the information of up to 30 million Facebook users. The European regulator also slapped Meta with a Meta with a $402 million fine in September following an investigation into Instagram's handling of teenagers' data. Well, that's got to be safe. Meta's been fined nearly $700 million by the Data Protection Commission of Ireland just this year. And that doesn't include the $267 million fine that WhatsApp, owned by Meta, incurred for violating Europe's data privacy laws last year. Racking up the fines. It looks like progress, doesn't it? Twitter is reportedly trying to plug its drop in advertising revenues by concocting a series of inducements to convince some brands that have paused spending on the platform, convince them to reopen their wallets. That's according to the Register. In one, ma- one mailer that was dispatched to advertising agencies seen by the Financial Times, the troubled social media biz, i.e. Twitter, said it was scheduled to roll out the largest advertiser incentives ever this month, pledging additional impressions. I don't do... Imp- pledging di- additional impressions depending on the level of budget to use. Twitter reportedly said it would mirror the spending of clients that pay at least half a million dollars, with a ceiling limit of a million per advertiser. Customers forking over 350000 were told they'd get 50% value add, indicating they'd get extra impressions valued at half the amount they spend. The mail also included a tier for those with only a $200,000 budget. They can have a 25% value add. This was backed up by a separate email to agencies that included the same offers to U.S., Advertisers that have slight modifications for advertisers in the UK willing to risk a brush with the current Twitter chaos. How can it be chaos? Musk is in charge. According to Reuters, the, uh, Reuters, the offer is only valid for ad- advertising that runs before the end of 2022. Since his purchase of Twitter at the close of October, forced by a contract he was trying to get out of. Musk has been seemingly doing everything in his power to alienate advertisers, which, nutty, are believed to account for about 90% of Twitter's revenue before they started fleeing the scene. Calls from advertising groups encouraging their customers to leave Twitter came within days of Musk's takeover, largely driven by a spike in racist language, and fears that Twitter wouldn't be able to assure brand safety for its advertisers. Since then, brands including Pfizer, General Mills, United Airlines, and Apple have all cut back or stopped advertising on the platform. Where's the safety, they cry. 
The situation for advertisers was made even worse when Twitter rolled out its short-lived pay-for-verification scheme. That allowed anyone who subscribed to Twitter Blue for $8 a month to get a blue verification check mark, which verifies that they paid $8. Brand and celebrity impersonation? Oh, no, not that, began almost immediately, causing actual damage for some. Insulin maker Eli Lilly, Tom? Uh, insulin maker Eli Lilly. So close. Reportedly lost billions of dollars when it's... Billions of dollars? Yeah. When its stock dropped 6% after a Twitter troll said the company would make insulin free. The chaos has continued since then. Only a few days ago, as you probably know, Musk picked a fight with Apple for slashing its ad spending. Yes, I'm going to say spending, not spend, on Twitter. Two days later, Apple CEO Tim Cook had a little chat with Musk, describing the meeting between the pair as a good conversation. Musk clarified Apple had no plans to pull Twitter from the App Store, as he had charged, striking an almost meek tone for the richest man in the world. At the, as of the end of November, it's estimated Twitter ad revenue is down 15%, weekly bookings of advertising down by a whopping 49%, Is the incentive program going to work? According to ad industry leaders interviewed by the Financial Times, it's doubtful clients simply aren't willing to take the risk, one said. Another predicted the incentives will have exactly zero impact. Exactly zero. I like, I like somebody who speaks in good round numbers. This now from Binance part of the smart, smart, smart world. It's a blog of um, a crypto exchange called Binance. The blog is called the Binance Blog. As a leading player in crypto, we understand we have a responsibility to lead the charge when it comes to protecting consumers and rebuilding the industry. That's why we've established the Industry Recovery Initiative, the IRI, a new co-investment opportunity for organizations eager to support the future of Web3. I'm going to interrupt the quote just to say co-investment opportunity means you could give us some money. Now back to the uh, blog. Key facts about the Industry Recovery Initiative. It is not an investment fund. To, inv to access investment opportunities that come through the IRI application process, each participant is required to set aside Committed capital. Yeah, those are funds. It can be in stable coins or other tokens. Within public addresses to ensure transparency. Each participant, including Binance, will review investment opportunities and make investment decisions independently of each other on a deal-by-deal -deal basis. We recognize that traditional financial institutions may want to participate, but we're unable to send money. But they are unable to send money to a public address. We're open to exploring other deal structures under the broader, broader theme of the IRA, IRI with such institutions who may be keen. 
We anticipate this initiative will last about six months and will be flexible on the investment structure. We expect individual situations to require tailored solutions. Each participant can withdraw any remaining unused funds from public addresses at the end of the initiative. Initially, Binance will commit $1 billion U.S. billion to IRI-themed investment opportunities with an intent to wrap up, ramp up that amount to $2 billion in the near future if the need of, arises. I'm just trying to keep the boat afloat. We've already received around 150 applications from companies seeking support under the IRI. Each co-investor within it will have the opportunity to review potential deals and decide for themselves whether they wish to participate. The mandate of this new effort is to support the most promising and highest quality companies and project projects built by the best technologists and entrepreneurs that, through no fault of their own, are facing significant short-term financial difficulties. What makes this initiative unique is the collaborative approach to restoring confidence in Web3. We'll be looking for projects characterized by innovation and long-term value creation, a clearly delineated and viable business model, and a laser focus on risk management. Yes, that's what's new. (laughs) A laser focus on risk management. This sounds like Web 4. Aside from funding support, we plan to provide founders and projects with comprehensive support from formation, technical execution, fundraising, and more, so they can emerge and grow stronger from this crypto winter. That's what this is, ladies and gentlemen. Crypto winter. That's because the uh, prices of the tokens have, uh, to use a technical term, tumbled. And pop star Justin Bieber started off this year purchasing his first Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT. Remember those? For 500 Ethereum. That's a blockchain currency equivalent to 1.3 million. But the market value or price floor for individuals, individual NFTs from the Bored Ape collection has tanked to $70,000 just recently. That's a 95% drop in value, according to the data from the NFT price floor revealed by Insider. Sinking NFT prices follow the collapse of crypto exchange giant FTX. You know, the uh, Sam Bankster fraud scandal. It lowered overall crypto prices and hurt NFT valuations. That's because NFT owners panic sold them to avoid prices from dropping even further. That's according to a report from crypto news site Decrypt. Where's Decrypt? You're standing in it. Board Ape comprises more than 10,000 NFTs depicting cartoon monkeys wearing different outfits. It's one of the most successful NFT art collections, once valued at more than $1 billion. Gee, what happened? Before the crypto crash, Bored Ape's NFT prices peaked 
uh, at about half a million dollars in late April. That was in response to hype around the use of NFT land plots for its personal metaverse platform, Other Side. Since NFT sales have dipped, its prices have fallen by 82%. Other NFT collections are facing lower values. CryptoPunks down by 37%. The Gods, never heard of that one, by 66% according to Forbes. While Bieber never specified why he purchased an NFT, some critics speculate that celebrities buy NFTs as a status symbol. Hmm. I could use some status. As a way to flaunt their wealth and exclusive purchases, talk show host Jimmy Fallon, model Paris Hilton, and rappers Snoop Dogg and Eminem also own Bored Ape NFTs. Not envying them so much anymore, are we? It's a smart, 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 smart world. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, this is um, a noteworthy edition of this broadcast. Um, It's today marks the 39th anniversary of the first Le Show, hitting the airwaves, and the airwaves, of course, hitting back. Uh, 39 anniversaries don't uh, normally merit much attention but uh, as some of you might know i uh i began my as we call it in america my journey through show business uh at the uh, at the mentorship of uh one of the great american comedians of the 20th century jack benny and part of his shtick aside from pretending to be a miser and um uh, a a guy who fancied himself a better violin player than we heard, although these were made up. He was a fine violin player, and he was a very generous man. But, the, you know, the, the, the shtick, the persona. And another part of it was that he refused to acknowledge his advancing age, insisting always that he was just 39. And, uh, as I say, I start my career under his mentorship, so... The number 39 has outside outsized significance for me. And uh, so this is the 39th anniversary of the show. And really? Okay. All right. I'm being told we have a, a call in the newsmaker line. So uh, I was just rambling anyway. Let's take the call. Hello, you're on the show. Hello, this is Donald. And uh, I just, I uh, just wanted to congratulate you, Harvey, Harry, Harry, on uh, your 39th, 39th, yeah, why would I, your 39th anniversary of Lee Show. It's uh, an amazing accomplishment, and. Accomplishments are always amazing. Wow, thank you, sir. I'm I'm amazed <laughs> that uh, you were aware of the show and, and uh, wanted to uh, express those sentiments. Well, I I originally wasn't, and oh. now of course I'm running for president, ah, and uh, mm-hmm. it's incumbent upon me. Yeah. 
especially since I should be the incumbent, <laughs> well. uh, as you know, mm. to take note of notable accomplishments, wherever they may be, and uh, glean whatever I can from that. What, uh, is there a... Tell me you're proud to talk to a Jew. Who, uh, excuse me, who is that? Um, that's a, uh, a friend of uh, Ye's mm. who's over here for coffee at uh, Mar-a-Lago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's good coffee. I, I didn't catch his name. Howard Himmler. Uh, um, yeah. Can I speak? Can he hear me? Are we on yes, speakerphone over there? Howard, yes. um, it sounds like a name that you may have uh, changed at some point in your life. Yeah. How did you know? Um, it just sounded like... An unusual name. Yeah, it was Howard Hitler, but I changed it. Why? It sounded too on the nose. Ah. Yeah, it rings a bell with me. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I've got a lot of these to do. You'd be amazed how many people are celebrating something every friggin' day. So uh, congratulations <laughs> Thank again, you. Harry. Harry, Harry. Uh, yeah. All the best for another 39. Mm -hmm. Jesus, I wouldn't want to be doing that. Well, I do. Uh, and uh, thanks, you know, and remember, come uh, 2024, remember you got this call. Okay, thanks so much for being on our Newsmaker line today. Yeah. Thanks for your kind thoughts. And, uh, Howard. Yeah. Bye. a handful despite all the hype I paid a load of chump change but no way was she my type now when anybody asks me I don't care if I upset her but this I can tell you John Kelly was a chief of staff Like I needed one of those I never liked his manner I was creeped out by his clothes Now he's talking lots of trash I probably should sue him A 
such a lovely gal, the kind of immigrant I approve. I saw her first at a modeling gig, then I made my trademark move. Now she's raising my last son. At big events you can view her. I'm sure she's a very fine person too. Too bad I never knew her. I never knew her. From New Orleans, this is the show, and now. News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Eversold III. The former chief of the Tokyo Olympics organizing committee expressed concern this week that a widening corruption scandal related to last year's event, the Tokyo Olympics, may negatively affect Sapporo's bid to host the 2030 Winter Games. Quote, It seems very severe, unquote Seiko Hashimoto, an Olympic medalist turned legislator. He told that to reporters when asked how a series of revelations of suspected wrongdoing regarding test events for the Tokyo Games could affect efforts by the northern Japan city to host a winter games. Hashimoto, who also served as the country's Olympic minister, said it's important to get to the bottom of the allegations as soon as possible so Sapporo can proceed in its campaign to host the 2030 event. Hokkaido hosted the 1972 Winter Olympics. It's also in Japan. Japanese authorities launched a full investigation earlier this year into allegations of accepting bribes in the selection of Olympic and Paralympic sponsors and of rigging the bidding process for companies to get involved in test events for the Games. That sent shockwaves through post-Olympics Japan. They know something about shockwaves. The significance and value of the Tokyo Games have come into question, said Hashimoto, who became chief of the organizing committee months ahead of the Games. He succeeded former Prime Minister Yoshiro Mori. He resigned after making sexist remarks. It's a movement, and we all need one every day. Now, in the latest discovery on where microplastics might be found on this planet of ours. Tiny pieces of plastic, according to Medscape.com, are now being detected in the water that forms on plant leaves. There's a discovery that shows how prevalent microplastics are in our ecosystems, according to biologists at Slovakia's University of Presov. Teasel plants... I said, teasel plants have unique leaves that grow on the stem above each other in several levels. So as they clasp the stem, they form cup-like structures that collect fresh water, known as telmata. Telmata. Telmata, you're going out for dinner. Little water puddles that form in teasel leaf 
Axles create short-term aquatic microcosms known as teasel phytotelemata. You got it so far? A close look at the makeup of these water puddles determined that they contained differently colored fragments and fibers which were identified as microplastics. No nearby source of plastics where they were growing, so it was believed the microplastics most came from polluted atmosphere. The first findings of microplastics in small short-term water reservoirs created by plants is just further evidence that contamination from mycoplastics spreads through various pathways and poses a potential threat to the plants themselves as well as organisms bound to them by ecologic relations. Just one word. Microplastics. Thank you. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. Hey, you want big names on the radio? We got a big name apology for you this week. Bob Dylan. How how big is that? You'd rather have Megan Trainer? Bob Dylan has issued a rare public statement to apologize for using a machine to duplicate his signature on books and artworks since 2019. The star said he regretted making an, quote, error of judgment, unquote, in allowing the works to be sold as hand-signed. He said he'd started using an auto pen after developing vertigo in 2019. Yeah, that can wreck your hands, can it? Vertigo. The issue came to light when fans who bought $600 limited edition copies of Dylan's book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, compared photos of his signature. The publisher, Simon & Schuster, initially refused requests for refunds, assuring buyers that the signatures were legitimate and validated by a, quote, letter of authenticity, unquote. After continued pressure, publishers admitted the books contained a penned replica of the star's autograph, offering full refunds to everyone who had bought one of the 900 supposedly hand-signed editions. The row also raised questions over Dylan's artworks, prints of which can sell up to $15,000. Why, that's as much as a bored ape. In a statement released this week, the singer-songwriter admitted some of those had also been signed by machine. I've hand-signed each and every art print over the years, and there's never been a problem, he wrote. However, in 2019, I had a bad case of vertigo and it continued into the pandemic years. It takes a crew of five working in close quarters with me to help enable those signing sessions, and we could not find a safe and workable way to complete what I needed to do while the virus was raging. So during the pandemic, it was impossible to sign anything, and the vertigo didn't help. With contractual deadlines looming, the idea of using an auto pen was suggested to me, along with the assurance that this kind of thing is done all the time in the art and literary worlds. Using a machine was an error in judgment, and I want to rectify it immediately. I'm working with Simon & Schuster and my gallery partners to do just that. Unquote Bob Dylan. Thanks for dropping by. You want you want big names, uh, big name apologies? How about Lady Susan Hussey, Queen Camilla's former right-hand woman, and Prince William's godmother? She caused quite a stir at the Queen Consort's violence against women and girls reception, and the royal family is now apologizing for her actions. What happened? Ngozi Fulani is the director of East London charity Sister Space. She attended the Buckingham Palace event as Camilla's guest. Lady Susan Hussey approached her. She repeatedly and aggressively asked Ngozi where she was from because she's black, refusing to accept the fact that she's British and was born in the United Kingdom. No, but where do you really come from? Where do your people come from? What part of Africa are you from? 
Ngozi reflected it was such a shock to me and the other two women we were stunned to semper temporary silence I uh, I just stood in the room smiled and engaged briefly with who spoke to me until I could leave following the tweet Buckingham Palace released a statement apologizing for this incident we take this incident extremely seriously and have investigated immediately to establish the full details in this instance unacceptable deeply regrettable comments have been made we have reached out to Ngozi Fulani on this matter and are inviting her to discuss all elements of her experience in person if she wishes unquote the Buckingham Palace spokesperson and uh, Lady Susan Hussey the former lady-in-waiting to uh, the Queen has, has uh, resigned from her role as Camill Camilla's companion. The individual concerned, said the palace, you know, the talking palace, would like to express her profound apologies for the hurt caused and has stepped aside from her honorary role with immediate effect. Bam! On behalf of the Colombian state, that would be the country of Colombia, the president, Gustavo Petro, apologized this week to the victims of the massacres committed by paramilitaries in La Granja and El Aro, described them as genocides in which the state took part either by action or omission. Quote, on behalf of the Colombian state, I ask the victims for forgiveness. The Colombian state recognizes that the people killed were not enemies of anyone. They were humble and hardworking people who were killed for no reason. The state was present at their deaths and was complicit in the murders, he said. Those statements occurred during an event that took place at the Museum of Memory. What a good idea. Where Colombians recalled the massacres occurred in these two hamlets, La Granja in 1996 and El Aro in 1997. The Colombian state killed its own citizens, Petro said recalling that the Inter-American Court of Human Rights blamed the Colombian state in 2006 for those killings and required it to investigate the facts to find and prosecute those responsible. Petro also regretted that public recognition of what happened took more than 16 years to arrive. Babe, we got excuses for forgetting that are older than that. He promised to do everything possible so that the Colombian state compensates the victims of the violence committed by the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia. Those were paramilitary militias which operated when former President Alvaro Uribe was the governor of the state in question. The president's tweet continued, Our courts were not capable of judging the murderers. We must tell the world that the Colombian state was by action or omission a murderous state. What happened in Colombia was a genocide that must be judged. Unquote. Colombian President Petro. Dateline Flathead County, Montana. The uh, local library director, Ashley Cummins, apologized to the library's board of directors this week following the public revelation of her application for another job in Oregon after she uh, had a stressful first few months in her Montana position. You know the Montana position, don't you? I think it's in the Bo Biden materials. Cummins addressed trustees during her report at their December board meeting. 
Cummins was recruited for a director's position in Seaside, Oregon. She described the uh, library where she was at then currently employed. Imagine if as becoming a flashpoint amid worsening culture wars. She said it had been a stressful time in Flathead County. Then at the uh, board's December 1st meeting, Cummins said the job opportunity in Oregon did not work out, and she wanted to apologize for how the, then, the, the Oregon newspaper painted the Flathead school board in a very bad light. Contrary to popular belief, the board is kind of low on my list of those reasons for finding the job difficult. It's just been a lot, so I wanted to kind of apologize to you all. Not y'all. She's in Montana. Do you have any idea who the Liver King is? I didn't. After denying using steroids for months... The Liver King has admitted he is currently and has in the past been on steroids, revealing the details in a brand new apology video. He's a popular fitness coach, real name Brian Johnson, best known as Liver King, so to me not known at all, has become a notable figure only thanks to his motivational videos and extreme workouts and diet content. However, since being catapulted into the public eye, much discussion has been had about whether or not he's natural or takes some sort of steroid supplements. A late email from last month revealed his current cycle of fitness enhancement drugs, totally over, totaling over $10,000 worth of anabolic steroids per month. The news took the world by storm. Really? My world was storm-free, many claiming it'd be more of a surprise if the massive bodybuilder didn't take steroids. Now that the steroid use has been made public knowledge, Liver King chose to upload an apology video to his YouTube channel, explaining why he lied and expressing his regret at not admitting the truth sooner. Quote, I'm making this video to apologize because I effed up, because I'm embarrassed and ashamed, because I lied and I misled a lot of people. Before social media, I was rich and anonymous, and after social media, I'm still rich but no longer anonymous, and I never experienced this kind of exposure in the public eye. It's been tricky as F to navigate. Clearly I did it wrong, and I'm here now to set the record straight. Yes, I've done steroids. And yes, I am on steroids monitored and managed by trained hormone clinicians. Liver King, the public figure, was an experiment to spread a message, he said. The messaging being to raise awareness for the high suicide rates that plague the world in relation to young men who struggle with depression and low motivation, unquote. He added, I've been on several podcasts, and when asked if I've ever taken steroids, I've always said, no, I don't touch this stuff. Not going to stuff the stuff that's never going to touch this stuff. That was a lie. Unquote. Liver King lied. I continually dismissed it and dug myself into a deeper and deeper hole. I have only myself to blame. I did that and it was all wrong. I will be better. I will talk about it openly. I'm as sorry as a man can be. And all I can do is take extreme ownership right now. Is he as sorry as a woman can be, though? That's the question we're left with. 
Sam, Bankster Fro- uh, Sam Bankman-Fried apologized to an FTX user this week. The user said he had lost $2 million after the crypto exchange, FTX, went bankrupt. He was interviewed at the New York Times Dealbook Summit, where he was described as Crypto King. I wonder if he's ever met Liver King. Andrew Ross, Ross Sorkin shared this email from a gentleman who said he lost his life savings. It had the subject line, Sam Bankman Freed stole $2 million from me. Please ask him if he thinks what happened was fraud. Sorkin said, what do you tell this man? Said Bankster fraud, uh, Bankman Freed, I'm deeply sorry about what happened. He added the FTX US platform was still fully funded and he believed withdrawals could be opened up today. He blamed an all-out PR assault, which led to a total market collapse in a pretty short period of time. Sorkin raised the question of money being mixed between Alameda, a trading outfit, and FTX, an exchange. Supposed to have separate money, but they're both owned by Sam. None of the digital assets in your account are the property or shall be loaned to FTX Trading, said the terms of service that the uh, email guy had mentioned. Bankman Freed eventually said, I didn't knowingly commingle funds. He doesn't think he's criminally liable for FTX's explosion. But he's sorry. He's sorry even more. Because it's not criminal. And the police chief of Tampa, Florida, has apologized and is asking for disciplinary review of herself after she flashed her badge to get out of a stop for traveling in a golf cart without a license plate. She and her hubby were tootling around a um, development outside a golf course. But you need a license plate to tootle around the development. That's the latest development. The Apology to the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this 39th anniversary edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same radio station, or on your own uh, audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'll be just like 
Howard Hitler not being over at your place. If you'd agree with join with me then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk. Thomas Walsh here at WWNO New Orleans. And uh, Pam Halstead, all for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this show, it has one. You can mail it to it. Somebody will read it. That somebody will be me. It's on my website, harryshearer.com, along with um, so many great things to see, hear, read, and forget about. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.